0: Well, good evening. good evening. How about those baptisms, huh? So good. So if you see someone after church who was water baptized, even if you don't know them, make sure you go up and say congratulations. If you know them well enough, give them a hug, especially the kids, right? I mean, just make sure that you encourage them in this huge step that they took. And also just, I mean, I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, but Rayland did have a Redskins headband on. I'm just saying. You couldn't see it from where you were, but it was there. Hey, we're going to try to cover a lot of ground tonight, so I'm not going to do any intro that we normally do. So if you're visiting tonight, you're going to want to go to the podcast through our our website. You can listen to last week, and that will give you the context uh, to maybe help you better understand why we're talking about pathways, and we're going to be covering one uh, specifically tonight. So, Father, as we tackle this question of rest how much of it is supposed to be a part of our lives, how little of it is supposed to be a part of our lives. Maybe there's some people here tonight, Father, who have been taught some things about a weekly Sabbath that just weren't right. And and maybe they're walking into a place of legalism that they need to be set free from, or maybe they're walking in a place of permissiveness and not practicing a weekly Sabbath that they need to be set free from. Father, as we dig into your word, let your word dig into us, and we want to be a people that walk down every path that you have established for us in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we like participation here at City Life. So, so what are some things that happen in your life when you don't get enough rest? Because we've asked your kids, and I'm going to read those answers off in just a minute. No, I'm just kidding. So raise your hand. I'll point to you. What's, what's, what are some things that you've noticed in your life, and if you're brave enough, in your spouse's life, when they, when they don't get enough rest? Somebody. David eats extra donuts. David eat extra donuts. Nice. Maybe I should try that. I like that. Alan. <laughs> Carla's like, let me answer. Cranky. Cranky. Yeah. Somebody else. What happens when you don't get enough rest? The ginger rage comes out. You're allowed to say that about yourself, but we can't. Okay. All right. Somebody else over here? Shanika. The, the ability to properly focus. Yeah, you just feel distracted. You don't feel as sharp. Crying. You cry. <laughs> Tyler's like, yep, she cries. You say, honey, go take a nap, right? She like, go take a nap. Jamal? Uh, blinks Your blinks become longer until it turns into a nap, yeah, right? Yeah. All right. Irritated. Easily irritated. Sally? Zach may or may not sleepwalk a little bit more. Yeah, he's up in the sound booth. He's, he's nodding his head. Anybody else? What's something that happens? Caffeine, caffeine. You, yeah, you, you begin to crave caffeine yeah. to compensate for it. Easy to get sick. Easier to get sick. That's good, right? Your immune system gets compromised. Anybody else want to throw something in there? Something that happens to you? Oh, you end up, right? He's a teacher. They end up having a basketball tournament in class because he doesn't feel like teaching. You're like, score. Students are like, I hope Coach Moriarty is tired today, right? Did you ever end up, Steve? Yeah, and yeah it's easy to, 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 to experience the feeling of despair or discouragement. Nathaniel? You lose, yeah, you lose a sense, yeah, especially when your wife's on deployment, right? You already are disconnected from reality because your better half is gone, right? So we, we have all of these things that happen to us when we don't get enough rest. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4, 5 through 6. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. So what's the Holy Spirit telling us there? Is that we cannot let this fear of work and, and being fatigued that comes from labor as permission to be idle. But then verse six says, and yet better to have one handful to better to have one handful with quietness, meaning the one handful of labor and work, and then the other with quietness, meaning that there should be some sense of balance to your life. You should be productive in one hand, but you should be rested in the other. Now, listen to the back half of verse 6. It says, Two handfuls of hard work is like chasing the wind. Because we find ourselves in this mindset, if if being productive with rest is effective, then what if I double down on my effort of work? Then I can be even more productive. And God says, no, that's not the case. Because one of the reasons why you're able to be productive is because you're restful. And you have to have a balance of both of them in your life. Isaiah 58:13 through 14 says, "Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires and talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised your ancestor Jacob." I the Lord have spoken. it, And then in Matthew uh, 8, 23 to 27, we find this amazing text where Jesus is with the disciples in a storm. Matthew 8, 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples, and suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. See, this is the biblical reference for naps right here, if you've been looking for it. It's right here. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. For some of you tonight, let me share this thought. Your life is a storm and you need the calm that only Jesus can bring, and it's called a weekly Sabbath. Let me say that again. You need the calm that only Jesus can bring, and it's called a weekly Sabbath. So I want to talk a little bit about rest awareness, and I want to talk about rest attitude, and then if we have time, we're going to talk about rest action. And if you're going to study rest in the Bible, you've got to turn to Hebrews chapter 4 because this chapter in the Bible, at least the first part of it and the end of chapter 3, is given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we can understand the various kinds of rest that God has prepared for us. Hebrews 4, verse 9. Like every week, the notes will be online. So if we are moving faster than you would like, if you're a note taker, you can always go to the website in a couple of days and there's a little PDF icon next to the podcast and it'll download the notes and all the scripture references will be there for you. Hebrews 4, 9. So there is a special rest. And we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. Some people think it was Paul. Some people think it could be Priscilla from Priscilla and Aquila. And that's the reason why the, there's not a name attached to it because of the chauvinism of that day. But what we do know this is the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Now the New Living Translation calls this a special rest and that's important because the word in the Greek is a word that's never been used before. Right? That, that, that the writer is sitting down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews is so rich with so much teaching. They get to this topic about rest, and there's not a word in, in, in a known language that articulates what he's trying or she's trying to communicate. And the word is sabbatismos in the Greek, and it means a rest that is without end. And I believe that here in Hebrews 4. the writer of Hebrews inspired by the Holy Spirit is talking about four specific kinds of rest and sabbatismos this idea of an unending rest or an uninterrupted rest is the transcendent rest that embodies all four together that you you don't experience this special rest that's still waiting for the people of God this unending rest this sabbatismos unless all four of the rest that I'm going to introduce to you are present in your life Hebrews 4, 1-2 says this, God's promise of entering His rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them but it did not do them any good because they did not share the faith of those who listened to God. What's that rest talking about? I believe that's a paternal rest. See, this word rest is used repeatedly throughout this fourth chapter, but he's talking about different kinds of rests each time. And so here he's attaching the idea of rest to faith. So we know this is the rest that comes when we make a vow of devotion to Christ. Now, there are some other kinds of rest that are attached to the vow of devotion to Christ, but here it talks specifically about our relationship with God. So I like to call this a paternal rest. It is the rest that you have when you make a vow of devotion up to Christ, of knowing God as your best and closest friend. It's what people are experiencing when they come up out of those waters of their baptism. There's a deepening sense of intimacy that they begin to have with their creator. It's paternal rest. It's the rest that you cannot have until your relationship with God is restored. Paternal rest. Hebrews 4, eight says this, Now if Joshua, right, who came after Moses and led the Israelites into conquering the promised land, it says, now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, again it's referring to a different kind of rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. The rest, I believe, that the Holy Spirit is teaching us in verse 8 is what I call a purposeful rest. It is the rest that you experience when you have a revelation that you are doing what God has called and created you to do. It can mean that you're tired, it could mean that there is effort that comes from you. Those of you that serve in volunteers and are serving in different ministries, maybe you have ministries that you're connected with outside of the church. We think about Tyler and when he and Marvin and, and Abby and, and it went to to, uh, to Haiti to build that bridge, right? They came back tired, but they came back fulfilled because they were walking in a purpose. They got it assigned for them. It's purposeful rest. It's a rest that comes like what Joshua experienced when the Israelites succeeded. Seated in the plan of God to conquer the promised land. So there's paternal rest. There's purposeful rest. This next one I call perpetual rest. Listen to Hebrews 4, 10 through 11. For all of you who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us now do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Now, we like to use various translations of the Bible here at City Life because no one translation gets it exactly right. And so the New Living Translation opens up verse 10 with the phrase for all who... And, 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 and that's not really the, the best rendering of that because, because the, new, the, the New American Standard talks about the one who. And so the New Living Translation said, well, that must mean everybody. There's another translation called the way that's akin to the Living Bible, which, which is typically a looser translation and not especially great for study. But for this word, they're the ones that got it right because they have the one in all caps referring to Jesus, and I think that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted to say. Listen to it if you render it this way. Christ has already entered there, right? It's speaking of his resurrection, his return to heaven, as he's preparing a place for us, the new heaven and the new earth, before he comes again. Christ has already entered there, if you read it this way. He is resting from his work just as God did after the creation. Now, why do I think that's important? Because I think the Holy Spirit is trying to talk to us about something that's called a perpetual rest. It is the rest that comes to your soul when you know what's waiting for you after you die. There is a restfulness that you should have as a devoted follower of Christ. Death is going to come for us all, and even if it comes for us in tragic circumstances, at some point there should be a peace that fills our hearts, a restfulness that defines who we are because we know that there is an eternity that's waiting for you and I. That's why when you study church history and you read about the persecution they suffered, especially in the book of Acts, you, you get this sense that they were not afraid. How about Stephen when he was being stoned to death, who was then Saul and had not yet had his conversion experience. It says that as he was dying and they were stoning him to to death, it was as though he had the face of an angel. How would you be in that moment? What would be your disposition? For Stephen, it was one of delight because he knew that he was going to be with his Savior There's a rest that comes when we know what's waiting for us. So we have paternal rest, we have purposeful rest, and we have what's called perpetual rest. Now I kind of pushed through those because I want the bulk of our time tonight to talk about this idea of a physical rest. Hebrews 4.4 talks about a physical rest. Genesis 2.2 talks about a physical rest. You see, the writer of Hebrews was talking to a predominantly Jewish audience and and and, 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 the, and the Jewish Christians of of their day were still clinging to Mosaic law. And what we now understand, or what we believe, our church and many other churches like ours, we believe that the principles that you find in the Mosaic Law are still to be celebrated, but not necessarily the practices. And so what was happening is that Jewish Christians were telling new converts who maybe did not come from a Jewish ethnic heritage that they still had to practice the Sabbath on what was then for the Jewish calendar, the Saturday. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to all of these, these, these Jewish Christians is, hey, there's lots of different kinds of rests, And just because you champion this one, you could be missing out on all the rest. And not only that, stop putting a burden of legalism on people because to God it doesn't matter what day it happens. What matters is that it's just there's one that happens for you every week. Mark two twenty-seven. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for men, but not men for the Sabbath. What's he talking about there? He's saying, hey, Sabbath is a gift that God is giving to you. It's not something that's supposed to lord over us. It's not supposed to be a burden that we carry. It's something that God created when he established the world. When the world was perfect, Adam and Eve had not yet eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and committed the original sin that caused them to be cast out of paradise. You know what was part of the world? Rest. The establishment of the Sabbath was a part of the world when it was sinless. It's one of the few ways that you and I, we're never going to go back to get paradise. There's a new paradise that Christ is building for us. But it's one of the ways that we can reach back and experience what was and one of the ways that we can reach ahead and experience what will be. This Sabbath is an incredible gift that God gives to us. And I think that alone is one of the reasons why most people don't do it. Because in our Western culture, what's our rule with gifts? It's up to you, right? Now, if you're polite, you might accept the gift. If you're well-rested, you might be kind. Right? If, if you're kind, you might take the gift, but but when you get home, if you don't like it, right? It's at the churchyard sale. Raise money for missions. Praise the Lord. You might, what's it called? regift right how many of you have ever re-gifted something? How many of you have re-gifted something from your spouse because we have a marriage counseling ministry here <laughs> at city life church right right because in our culture this idea of gift is that i'm not obligated to accept it that's why it's called a gift and not a requirement it's not called a mandate it's a gift and I accept it, I receive it, but then it's my personal choice whether or not I want to do something with it. Far too many churches latch onto this teaching that the Sabbath is a gift and that's what Jesus said. But what they forget is that when God gives you a gift, you're not free to say no. Now why would I say that? Because in Ephesians 2.8, which is a favorite verse of many of ours, listen to this. God saved you by his grace when you believed And you can't take credit for it. It is a what? It is a gift from God. So who here would say, you know, that whole thing about Jesus dying on the cross for me, I appreciate that, but I would really rather not accept your forgiveness and spend an eternity in a place called hell. Who who does that? Who, Who has a revelation of the grace of Christ, like the people who were baptized today, and would say, because it's a gift, I don't want it. We understand that when God gives us a gift, He's a perfect Father who always has our best interest at heart, and I don 't know about you, but I want every gift that He wants to give to me, whether or not I understand it, whether or not it makes sense. When the Bible says that it's a gift from God, it's something that I say, "Come on, I might not know how I'm going to work it into my life, but if the Creator of the universe wants to give it to me, I 'm going to take it." The Sabbath is a gift, but that's not permission to say no. When you look into the history of sabbath keeping throughout the through the first century and beyond, we find that the Jewish Talmud specified 39 main categories of work prohibited on the sabbath. This is real. Writing more than one letter of the alphabet was prohibited. Practicing medicine was not allowed unless life was endangered. Hence, a person with a toothache could rinse their mouth with vinegar on the Sabbath as long as they didn't swallow it, because that would be considered food preparation and eating. He could not rinse. He, he could not rinse his mouth and spit out the vinegar, because then that would be considered practicing medicine. Are you with me? It's just all of these rule after rule after rule that God never intended, and all of a sudden the Sabbath became this huge burden, and Jesus steps on the scene and says, well, let's slow down here. You've taken this gift, and you've just made it into something that's a burden. You've actually created something that was supposed to give people rest and made them tired through it. Vanessa and I, I remember watching an HGTV episode years ago, and it was a traditional Jewish couple that was building this house. And, uh, and they had a light timer that was installed in their house so they would not have to operate a light switch on their Sabbath day because it was forbidden by their rabbi. Wait, we read these things and we go, how could that be? But yet, for people who carry this conviction, it's real to them. And Jesus is in the world saying, that's not what I meant for it to be. There is a rest of awareness that we need to have. And that awareness needs to be that rest is a gift that God wants to give to me. I need to be willing to accept every gift that he has for me. It should not be a burden, but it should be a liberty. My attitude towards that rest also matters. Listen to John 2, 13-17. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. And in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. And he also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some rope, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle and scattered the money changers' coins over the floor and turned over the tables. And then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these out of here. And stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. He was upset because they were, they were charging an exchange rate that was so exorbitant it was robbery. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. This is good. Passion for God's house will consume me. So any, anybody here ever been upset about something that's happened in a church? You don't have to raise your hand. But if we're honest, anybody who's spent any amount of time in church, all of our hands are going to go up, right? Because churches are filled with imperfect people. There's going to be things that happen that upset us. There's, there's going to be things that, that, that disappoint us. And, and, and the, the situation, this was a church of Jesus' day, was, was so terrible that Jesus felt as though it was time for him to make a statement. It's interesting, isn't it, of all the things that cause us to be angry I I dare say that probably none of us have ever been this angry at church or maybe yourself because you've forgotten to practice rest. And I would argue that I think that it makes God angry. In fact, when you read in Paul's letter to to, to the Corinthians in his first letter, he says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think, because Jesus is here tonight, that he wants to get inside of some of your lives and start turning over some tables of activity because you're not practicing something that he paid the ultimate price for you to know. So, so what if you're visiting, right? And many of you are. And you're coming the next two weekends to what we call our welcome weekends where the sermon is set aside to talk a little bit about who we are and then we do three weeks of what we call discovering city life and my wife vanessa teaches that and so you'll you'll at the sermon part you'll go to the class and what if in that class what if in that class as one of the requirements to be a leader here this is the list that vanessa would read they have to worship other gods and actively participate in other religions To be a leader at the City Life Church, you have to know how to make idols in your garage, pray over them, and sell them on eBay to raise money for the church. (laughs) If you want to be a leader at the City Life, you've got to be a gifted person with profanity, especially using God and Jesus in profane ways. To be a leader at the City Life Church, you've got to speak disrespectfully of your parents as often as you can and publicly say derogatory things about them. To be a leader of the City Life Church, you have to openly endorse murder out of vengeance and anger as being appropriate and the ultimate measure of justice. To be a leader of the City Life Church, you have to practice an open marriage relationship. To be a leader of the City Life Church, dishonesty for personal gain is just a natural part of life, and that giving false testimony is okay because most people are guilty of something, anyways. Now, if you're still in the class, you should be gone by now. Are you with me? Picking up your kids from nursery. Did your number pop up? No, I'm just out of here because these people are crazy, right? (laughs) To be a leader at the City Life Church, you have to learn how to envy your neighbor's possessions because it's a great way to motivate yourself to get more stuff. Those are nine of the what? Yeah. I, I I... I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would wager quite a bit of money that none of you would go to a church if the leaders were just had a reputation of one of those things. Just one. Not talking about people that are struggling with their journey and, and need to have a community of people to come alongside them and help them heal. I'm not talking about that, right? Because The church should be a place where even the hardest case can come and find forgiveness and grace. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are given a position of leadership, like elder or deacon or pastor. People who are spiritually leading other people. People who are saying, which is the first statement of our discipleship model, right? In 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I follow Christ. Those people, if, if they were characterized by just one of these things, which one of you would go, hot dog, that's a church for me? Found it. Who does that? Nobody. But they're not called the Nine Commandments. They're called the Ten Commandments. You know why God made rest part of the Big Ten? Because he knew that culture, especially culture in the church, was going to get to a place where we became so desensitized to the gift of the Sabbath that we stopped caring if people even did it, especially leaders in the church right it doesn't say there's 10 commandments but at some point there's just going to be nine and that's okay where is that verse in the bible there's not a pert- are there parts of the old testament like we've already mentioned that were not intended to be timeless yes but which one of these Nine, would you argue, are time-bound. None of them. They're time less, And that's the context that the Holy Spirit used when Moses was writing down the Big Ten. Sabbath and rest is one of them because he wanted there to always be a place that Christians could come back to and say, I have got to be faithful in doing it for myself and being a good example to others. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Now there's three words that I'm going to define for you. In the Hebrew, it's Shabbat is the word for Sabbath, Kadash is the word for holy, and Nuach is the word for rest. Shabbat means to repose. That is, desist from exertion. It means to cease, and it also means to celebrate. It means to leave and to put away or to put something down. It means to make rest, to rid, to still, to take away. That's Shabbat. That's the Sabbath. Kadash is the word for holy in Hebrew. It means to be be clean, either ceremonially, which was significant in those days, or morally, which is still significant for us today. It means to appoint something, to bid or consecrate or dedicate. It means it's hallowed. It's holy. It's, it's, It's something that is prepared as special to proclaim, to purify, to sanctify. Kadash. Nuach. It's one of my favorite Hebrew words. It means to rest, to be at rest, to settle down, to stay, to dwell. Here it comes. It means comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. Those words just feel good coming off the tongue, doesn't it? Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. Remember to observe the Shabbat by keeping it kadash. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Shabbat. It's a day of nuach, dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he nuach and that is why the Lord blessed the Shabbat and set it apart as kadash. It's powerful, isn't it? How many of you have a day just like that every week? How many of you have a day, one out of every seven, that is comfortable, convenient, and easygoing? Because there is no justification to not you have to find a way. It is a gift that God wants to give to you. Hopefully tonight's message is increasing your awareness about the many kinds of rest that exist. And through being aware, now that there is an attitude that is growing inside of you that recognizes that this idea of a weekly Sabbath is something that you're supposed to have as part of your life. And, and, to such a degree that if it's not, you would feel just as convicted if you were to be guilty of one of the other nine. Imagine the conviction in many of your hearts if you were guilty of any one of the other nine. Can we not strive and press and work to get our hearts back to a place where we would be so convicted if we forsake the Sabbath? Rest action. Carl Barth a famous theologian of our time says let things take their course with particular freedom distinct from weekday practice to as much or as little as the day brings the day should be free from compulsion it's great isn't it when's the last time you had a day that was free from compulsion when's the last time you had a day when you woke up And there was no drive in you to accomplish anything except by the end of the day to feel refreshed and rejuvenated and rested. God designed these human bodies, and he knows what they require. And I think there are a whole lot of Christians that are going to get to heaven, and God's going to say to them, you were supposed to be here because of that Saturday in August when you got baptized at the City Life Church made a vow of devotion to Christ, but you're here 10 years too early because you wore yourself out. He he knows what these bodies need. And these bodies need to reset every seven days so that you will have the energy, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, physically, to fulfill the purpose that God has created for you. The verse in Ecclesiastes is a powerful reminder for us. Two handfuls of work does not enable you to get you to accomplish your purpose faster. It means that you wear yourself out and you might not even get halfway through it. But there's a handful of work and a handful of quietness and now we're ready to pursue the purpose that God has created for us. So let me give you these. These are eight steps. I'm just going to read through them. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them. But if Sabbath is not a part of your life, let me give you eight practical steps that you can take. One is this. You gotta start with prayer. If your life is so busy and so hectic where you're saying to me tonight, Fred, I I hear what you're saying, but if you saw my life... You would understand that there's no way that I could ever do that. And then, what I would say to you is pray to the one who's perfect and who's all knowing and all wise and let him begin to help you figure out how to untangle the mess of the life that you have so that there's room to rest. Number two, you've got to invest in rest. I hope you budget. I hope you live by a budget. I hope that budget instructs you so that you can be a good steward. That's one of our pathways is stewardship. We have a budget that we live by. Premarital counseling, we do a whole session on finances. Finances is tied for the number one cause of divorce in America today. It's that and infidelity. You have to have a budget so that there's some money set aside so that you can do things that rejuvenate you. It could be hobbies. It could be places that you go to as a family. It doesn't have to be a lot, but have some money that's set aside so that you can invest in your rest. Number three, you have to protect the Sabbath. If you leave here today and say, we're doing it, we're going to have a Sabbath, I guarantee you the night before that Sabbath, all hell is going to break out in your job, in your marriage, in your kids. I'm telling you, it's coming and you just got to say, it's going to wait. It's going to wait. You don't think I get calls sometimes from people? You spend a lifetime creating the mess of your life. It's going to be OK to wait till tomorrow. Now, I've never texted that. But that's what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, right? God is so faithful. We love you. We're gonna be here for you. What's your schedule look like for tomorrow? We'll grab coffee, right? Because, right, we're good at what we do, we, right? People are gonna to want to talk with you now, and if it's your Sabbath, I'm right. You've got to say this is our day. Are there exceptions to that? Absolutely. Are there times for us as pastors when there's a crisis where we step in? Absolutely. But you know what we do when we do that? We move that day of rest to some other day. We move it to a different day. We don't go, okay, got permission to skip this one. I'll see you in 14 days. No, 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 we move it. We move it to another day because we understand. If I'm convicted on the nine, how about let's find some conviction for the one? You got to protect you got to communicate to your family to your in-laws to your right there there should be some type of communication that you begin to say to people this is going to be our day. Number 4, we follow this one up with the one just before because if you're going to protect it you have to be flexible. You have to learn to be flexible. God does not care which day it is. He does not care. The reason why it was on Saturday is because that was a specific Jewish tradition. We're going to celebrate the principles of the Old Testament, but we're not required to practice the things that are uniquely connected to the ethnicity of being Jewish. You tracking with me? So it doesn't have to be on a Saturday. The reason why church was on a Sunday from the beginning of the church is because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So early Jewish Christians, they practiced the Sabbath on Saturday. Sunday wasn't a Sabbath for them. That was the day of celebration, and that's why they met for church. And that's why churches have been meeting on Sundays even still, except for the City Life Church. Not because we don't honor the resurrection of Christ, but you can honor the resurrection of Christ through all kinds of pathways. It doesn't just have to be the one of gathering. Who said that the only way that we can honor Jesus is by gathering in worship? How about some of you, which is one of the main reasons why City Life in 2008 shifted to Saturday to begin with, is because we knew it could create a day in people's schedule where they could begin to practice rest. It's one of the primary reasons why we meet on Saturday night. Is it harder to grow with a church on Saturday? Absolutely. Do people want options? Sure they do. But our conviction for number 10 is same as the conviction for number 9. And we're not going to be culturally expedient at the expense of what I would say is morality. If you give up rest, you give up too much but you got to be flexible it might be for you that you've got to just start doing half day increments right don't be the per- perfectionist or the worst procrastinators i know because i'm one of them we say if it can't be perfect i'm not doing it at all right you know who you are don't say if i can't do 24 hours i'm not doing none of it no 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 start with a little bit e- even if you have to start with a half of a day it's okay be flexible. Be gracious to yourself. Family. Men, don't wake up tomorrow morning and say, honey, honey, I'm going to the golf course. I'll be back by six. Pastor said I should rest today. No, 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 that's not what the pastor said. Because step five Says it's a family day. Now, are there times where you need to be to yourself? Yes, and that's part of your conversation as a husband and a wife. But if you're married, if you have kids, it it should be a time where family reconnects. Number six, learn from others. There are people in this church that have been practicing this principle for a long time. And if you're just overwhelmed with the idea of getting this started, then you come and talk with us, right? Don't, don't talk with us on Monday, but come talk with us, because that's our Sabbath. Grace. You've got to give yourself a lot of grace. Some of you, and we were these people, we were so depressed when we started practicing a Sabbath because our bodies were so addicted to the adrenaline of busyness that we literally felt sad when we first started practicing a Sabbath. And some of you, that's going to happen to you. You're going to get to the end of your Sabbath and say, that pastor is stupid. He just, I, I am just, I, I'm going to cry. And that's just the men in the room. Because you're just so addicted to these these chemicals that your body creates when you're just on the move and on the go. Your personality does not give you permission to tell God you know what's better for you than you do. Your your body has to learn to rest. And it might take some time. So be gracious with yourself. It's okay to be honest about how hard it is. And number eight is simply this. Rest. 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 And you know what the measure of rest is? Is the day after when you wake up. That's the measure. Do you feel rejuvenated? Do you feel refreshed? Some of you are going to rest actively. Some of you might, like me, I tend to be more sedentary. Right, But rest does not mean that you cannot do any work. It means that you should not do work that, you're, that there's a compulsion to do, right? If, if one of your hobbies is if you love tinkering on that car that's in the garage, you, you, there's some physical labor that might be involved, but that's something that you are do for enjoyment, and it might refresh you. We're, we, we've been boaters for about a decade. We'll go out into the water on our Sabbath day, sometimes at 10 in the morning, and not come off till 9 at night. Are we tired at the end of the day? We are. But you know what? We wake up the next day, and we, and we feel refreshed Because we've been together as a family. We've been doing things where we have fun. Rest does not mean no activity. It means that you rest. And that might look a little different from every person. So if you're a family, you've got to negotiate. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I read from this book at least once every year. And those of you who have been a part of this church for any amount of time, that you have heard this story often, and I hope that it inspires you as it did the first time you heard it. It's by John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors, and it's entitled, A Deedah Day. So some time ago, I was giving a bath to our three children. This is what John Ortberg writes. I had a custom of bathing them together more to save time than anything else. I knew that eventually I would have to stop the group bathing, but for the time being it seemed efficient. Johnny was still in the tub, and Laura was out and safely in her pajamas, and I was trying to get Mallory dried off. Now Mallory was out of the water, but was doing what has come to be known in our family as the dee da Day dance. This consists of running around in circles, singing over and over again, dee-da-dee, dee-da-dee. da Day. is a relatively simple dance. Expressing great joy. And when she is too happy to hold it in any longer, when the words are inadequate to give a voice to her euphoria, she has to dance to release her joy, so she does the dida day. Now, on this particular occasion, I was irritated. Mallory, hurry!" So she did. She began running in circles even faster, chanting da day more, rapidly and louder. No, Mallory, that's not what I mean. Stop with the d day stuff and get over here so I can drive you off. Hurry. And then she asked a profound question. Why? And I had no answer. I had nowhere to go. Nothing to do. No meetings to attend. No sermons to write. I was just so used to hurrying, so preoccupied with my own little agenda, so trapped in this rut of... Moving from one task to another, that here was life, here was joy, here was an invitation to the dance right in front of me. And I was missing it. So I got up and Mallory and I did the D Dod Day dance together. And she said I was pretty good at it too for a man of my age. Stand with me. Father, as we sing and worship tonight, we know that this story is the story of many people's reality in this room that the dance of life that comes through rest is passing them by and they need some dida day in their journey so father for whichever one of those steps that people need to begin to act upon to bring this pathway of rest into the routine of their life to be characterized to be, not the exception, but to be characterized by a people of rest. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have our hearts, that we would take your hand, and you would lead us down this path. In Christ's name, let's worship together.